It's the Pacific Rim Pro Wrestling Podcast, the podcast that takes you from Seattle to Tokyo and all points throughout history. It's Jim Valley here in the Seattle area, and we go across the Pacific Rim, the Pacific Ocean, to Tokyo, Japan, and Japan's leading historian, journalist, and author, and all-around good guy, my friend, Fumi Saito. Fumi. Hello from Tokyo. Are you keeping cool? Oh, God, it's so hot in here that... Uh... 35 degrees Celsius, that means 95 Fahrenheit all over the country. In some place, 40 degrees Celsius, which translates to 104. Well, Fahrenheit. it's got to be. You don't want to go outside. I mean, Tokyo is a humongous city with all the concrete yeah. and metal reflecting. It must seem even hotter. Uh, yeah, it seems that way. And also that there's an electricity power alert that uh, you're supposed to conserve, that uh, we might have shortage in power, you know, like uh, this week. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Some some area you're living in. But you have air conditioning. Yeah, yeah, but uh, the the issue of this, this heat stroke uh, is, like, uh, very serious right now, that the people are just getting sick. That's terrible. I hope you're staying hydrated. About this, what do you call it? Anti-cycle, high atmospheric pressure thing. That the two types, two types of anti-cycle, you know, above Japan meeting up, you know, from east side, like coming from Russia and China, and coming from the other side of Pacific. Two type of air, you know, anti-cycle pressure meeting up right above Japan or something. I hope Kiki has plenty of water. <laughs> yeah, but she, he's laying there. And he says, I ain't doing anything. Yeah, he's probably miserable in that fur coat. At least, fur uh, coat is right. Yeah. Yeah, but he, he has appetite still. Do you even own a pair of shorts? Huh? Do, uh, do I? Oh, of course. Okay, I don't think I've ever seen you wear anything but jeans. <laughs> no, I have denim shorts. Of course you do. <laughs> anyway yeah all through 90s i was wearing all summer <laughs> yeah well i'm glad you'll be breaking those out and be able to be able to stay cool um as you and i were talking off the air you got a rather interesting postcard yeah from uh new japan office the other day that they just moved from meguro area to nakano area yeah i don't know the reason for it but we have to suspect that the well, you know, when somebody moves, you know, your office from high-tech building to a rather more casual building, what's going on, right? Maybe it's just more economical, perhaps. Who knows? Yeah. But, uh, yeah. But the New Japan is, has this momentum now, too, you know. And then people, it was so interesting, you know, a few weeks ago. It's like a, uh, the, the, a lot of, like, a hardcore fans from the stateside, uh, they've been assuming that the New Japan lost so much, you know, momentum and so much heat because of pandemic and this and that about, this, you know, the business going down. So, where did you hear that? You know, that, of course, because of COVID and all that, that the business isn't the best, but the New Japan hasn't suffered all that much. That's still the biggest company, you know? Well, not only that, but New Japan has got such great talent and so many great minds behind it and the backing of Bushi Road, that as things get better, you know, New Japan, it's just a victim of circumstance, that's all. 
Yeah, not yeah. The, of course, COVID situation too, but yeah, all other factors too. But the, yes, but what's interesting from the state side? I'm talking about hardcore fan base in the state side. That the, the you know your hardcore fans and you're supposed to you know know a lot and read everything and watch everything, right? But the the, the hardcore fans from the state side still ha- always assume it's like it's as if Japanese wrestling industry is part of American wrestling industry or something. Yeah, they don't think about there's tours happening all over Japan. Oh, Saturdays and and Sundays, you have 15 to 20 shows just in Tokyo every weekend. Yeah, somebody asked me the other day, you know, because I do this show with you, people think I'm an expert about all of wrestling in Japan, and I, <laughs> okay, okay. I, I never present myself as that. I want to make that clear, but they asked me about a couple of wrestlers, and I was like, it was like a really small company. I'm like, yeah, you got me there. I'm okay. Sorry, but. Yeah, that's the tendency that the, the, the more hardcore fans you become, that the, the, the more small, you know, the more details that you start paying attention and sometimes you kind of lose what's important and what's not sometimes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Which well, is fine. That I would like to be able to answer and, uh, you know, or at least give some ideas. So did you see Forbidden Door? Sure, sure. It was like, I think it's going to be a pattern that uh, either in, in the state side, Saturday night, would be you know Sunday morning here in Japan, and your Sunday night shows will be on Monday night morning Monday morning show in Tokyo. So I started the show that the pay per view portion of the show started nine a.m. in the morning, but there was a one hour buy in like a pre show, right? Right. And uh, yeah, I I I started watching eight o'clock in the morning like a one hour pre show, then one you know the, the pay-per-view forbidden portion of the show and then you add that one hour pre-show it was like almost like a five-hour show altogether on monday morning what was the reaction to people in japan at forbidden door i spoke with it's also twofold that you're more uh, New Japan oriented wrestling fan or a casual audience or real hardcore that, uh, who watch everything, buys everything, reads everything. You know what I'm saying? So those are two different opinions, I think. Well, as you were talking and, with people, what was the reaction as far as the integration with Japanese wrestlers oh, on an American show? Basically? You know, what, what's interesting is like a lot of Japanese fans want to know what was the reaction in the States? Like the other way around. They all want to know how, you know, like Japanese hardcore fans wants to know how American fans thought about it. And American fans, like, I mean, the people you spoke with, they want to know how Japanese fans thought about it, right? Right. Yeah. How did you feel about it is my question. I loved it. I thought it was, yeah, yeah. I thought it was going to be, you know, a very memorable I hate to ter- use the term all-time great show, 
but because it's the first one, I think it's memorable because the matches were very good, all of them on their own, blended together. I thought they worked well. I liked how receptive the audience was to everything. Yeah, yeah, like uh, the way they popped when the, somebody like a Katsuyori Shibata shows up on a rampway right after the Will Ospreay Orange Cassidy match. Right. Yeah, because Shibata never had program, you know, in in, in the AEW. Well, so uh, that's when I had to assume that the fan base is very informative. You know, what I'm saying that the people have information, and the way they react to Katsuyori Shibata. And they, they treated, you know, that the Orange Cassidy giving his, his sun, sunglasses to Shibata and this hard, hard, serious Shibata taking the sunglasses and smile. Was, that was a very interesting part, right? Yeah, it was a great little personality piece. Doesn't hurt Shibata. Humanizes no, no, him a little no. bit. Was, Did, no, he was introduced like a superstar. Yeah, he didn't look like a goof or anything. It wasn't like putting gold dust swig on Goldberg. It was actually kind of fun. Oh, no, not like that at all. And also, it wasn't a bunch of Japanese wrestlers making guest appearance. It was a program itself. That's what I really liked about it. The main event was very much in a promotion. Of course, AEW Interim World Heavyweight Championship, that, uh, representing AEW John Moxie, representing New Japan Pro Wrestling, the Hiroshi Tanahashi. That's your top, top card. But, I mean... Yeah. So Japanese fans, you can also say it's the Death Rider, John Moxley, from New Japan against Tanahashi. Just happens to be an right. AEW. Death Rider and the finish was a paradigm shift, of course. Yeah, it works in both ways. Yeah, so it was very good. And the one before that, also, there's like a double main event that uh, they put an IWGP title online. Right before AEW title matches, you have Jay White and Okada, Adam Cole, and Hangman Page. Well, those are the four that should go after a IWGP title and they treated pretty equal which was very interesting and he showcased jay white's character too that the okada taking uh, the major portion of ending of the match and almost win it then jay white comes in and steals right that's that's what jay white's character definitely is yeah what are your thoughts on uh, FTR as the new tag team champions? I mean, they kind of did the... that. Would be, that's very also interesting because they introduced um, on this AEW New Japan Forbidden Program that the the the, for, uh, the the Forever Revival team came out with ROH Tag Team Championship belts. Right. And both titles on the line. And uh, you, you just have third, you know, the third team is Rocky Romero and uh, Trent and Trent Beretta, also pretty much a New Japan team. Right. And if they are winning IWGP tag team title, you, you automatically assume that they will be in New Japan ring sooner or later. How do you think they'll get over well as champions coming to New Japan? It, it, the championship belt really helps that uh, they are, yeah, of course, hardcore fans know FDR, you know, then, but they change name from, I don't remember, when they have new ring name, you just kind of forget what was their WWE ring name were. I do. The I Revival? That. The Revival, wasn't it? 
Yeah, not the revival, but the actual ring name of you know Dan Howard and, oh. and the Dax. Right, Cash and Dax. Yeah, Cash and Dax, right? But the, they, I completely forgot the WWE name already. Yeah, I but forgot they, their individual names, their to be honest. style is perfect for Japanese wrestling, though. Really. I, why do you say that? Well, because they no nonsense and the size, you know, they're kind of cons- considered almost short and stocky guys in American wrestling, but the, the size is pretty good for Japanese, you know, it matches, you know. Right. And also, there are short trunks in ring, you know, ring wrestling shoes, you know, ring boots guys that wrestles don't necessarily need you a big promo. The only thing I was thinking of is so much of their gimmick is throwback to the 80s with Tully and Arn. And Tully and Arn... Oh, so much. So much of it, yeah. They don't really have any major history in Japan. I Arn, you know, a little bit. Did Tully wrestle in Japan? I don't. Maybe early uh, in his career. Twice, but not yeah. like regular. No. Yeah, no. So, I just didn't know if audiences would understand that part of the gimmick at all. Or they'd just be generic 80s yeah. wrestlers. It, it helps... If they know Arn Anderson, Tully Blanchard style, but uh, this FDR, when, when you watch FDR wrestle, uh, the, the style is already pretty much old fashioned that the people can relate to that in Japan. Yeah. Well, that's yeah, cool. That's know, interesting. If you know all the history and the background of it and the whole gimmick of it, but the, the way they wrestle, that they just fit right into this you know, Japanese wrestling scene. Yeah. So the word you're hearing? Three-way tag team match was very interesting. And it really showcased them. Yeah, it absolutely did. And then Rocky Romero took the political Rocky pinfall. Rocky Romero and Beretta, yeah. They, Which makes sense. New Japan fans seeing them. I mean, like, they are New Japan wrestlers. Yeah. It makes sense. Protect Jeff Cobb and Great O'Connor. Again, that it's a program. Yeah. So uh, I think the AEW and All Atlantic title match was interesting too. That it was going to be, you know, the Tomohiro Ishii, but instead they Ishii's injured, but they put Clark Connors, who is New Japan American Young Lion, who grew their hair. I mean, his hair, and now he's like his own person. That's very interesting to introduce that way. I now, think when when Clark Clark Connors comes back to New Japan ring in Japan. He's no longer young lion. He's like a, their own after their you know his own excursion that he's he can be back in the ring as somebody now. That made him. Does that make sense? That table spot made him, and uh, what a great opportunity for Clark Connors. I mean, he's been solid for a long time. Um, okay. I'm fine with the wild rhino name. I'm not sure about the costume when he comes to the ring. I'm not sure about the Crocodile Dundee outfitter. If he's uh, supposed to be like a rhino hunter. shoes all together. I, I don't know about that. I would change maybe that part. But he's the only one doing it. So uh, I guess once he started doing this, uh, he has to go with it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it is, but I mean, it's different. It sticks out, but... It looks a little too Steve Irwin, a little too comedy for me. 
So I would make mm -hmm, a few adjustments. Yeah. And also this four-way match, uh, AEW All-Atlantic, that people were paying more attention to Milo and Puck and Malachi Black. Well, of course they are. They're bigger stars. Yeah, and Puck for Japanese fans, he was Dragon Gate's regular. Yeah. He was a big and star in Dragon Gate. Was somebody that the Japanese found wanted to you know see for a long time. I mean, this is his style: the kicking pad and submission and the suplex, and it's just perfect, right? No, I thought yeah, that he was the guy they were going to put the belt on. Ah, they didn't puck, yeah. yeah. But then again, this is a program that uh, some whomever got the belt first, there will be a, there will be a. Title match program. Puck against Molokai Black, of course. Puck against Miro, the size difference, but the, that's like your all all Atlantic title is much like your Intercontinental title, right? Yeah, we'll see. Yeah, see what happens. Yeah. I feel oh, like. So many interesting spots, you know, the matches and, and uh, the combination of people, like, you know, uh, you never guessed that. Never thought that Shingo Takagi would be teaming up with Sting, right? No kidding, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, that was and a great spotlight for Shingo. It was pretty well, too. And right, if you got the uh, one spot, the Shingo Takagi gave in somebody the senton, then asked Sting to do the same, and Sting said, okay, and he's just 64 years Sting doing the senton. Let me ask you this. Yeah? You've seen... I guess even in the past few years, you've seen the Mascaris brothers wrestle in their 70s and yeah. their 60s. Sure. You've seen the Funks wrestle when they're older. Sure. You've seen Luthez yeah. wrestle in his 70s. When we're talking yeah, about wrestlers who get into their 60s, someone the other day thought that Sting was the best wrestler ever so far in his 60s. What do you think? Uh, it's like this person obviously haven't seen Corgaccio, Luthes, or Dory Funk, Terry Funk. You know, if you've seen them all, you know, you can say somebody's the best, but uh, you just saw Sting and what we you know in AEW ring, and let's not assume he is the best. You know, oh, I'm not taking anything away from Sting. What he's doing is great, and he looks great. He obviously looked like a big, huge superstar. And the entrance at the beginning of the match from his flying out of what the what do you call that? The barricade thing, you know, top of the thing. Oh, even did the way up in the catwalk of the, the arena thing. It looked really special, you know. And uh, yeah, Sting is special. But I wouldn't say he is the, the best wrestler in the 60s. Because Ricky Choshu, up until 60-something, he wrestled up until a couple of years ago. Regularly. And so there's also Fujinami. Fujinami and Tenru was wrestling on, you know, until he was 60-something, and his, his last match was against Katsushika Okada and had a no-gap match. Yeah, it was amazing. Yeah, maybe Tenru, yeah. yeah. I almost forgot about Tenru. Maybe because... Yeah, Tenru wrestled you know, up until a couple, couple, three years ago, yes. Maybe it was because Tenru always looked 50. Maybe that was why. I didn't think about Tenru. <laughs> okay, yeah. I didn't think about... So people do wrestle, and... Keiji Muto, he'll be 60 this year, too. Yeah, we need to talk about that. We need to talk yeah, about... He, uh, yeah, big announcement was made that he'll be retiring next spring. So that means that he'll be doing a retirement road, that uh, having special single match, five, six different places in a big arena show. 
And these are all through, these are all through Noah. Yeah, yeah. And maybe, just maybe that this, this version of Noah will bring in outside talent to, you know, to have a single match matchup with Keiji Muto on their platform. Now, what do you think? Obviously, Tony Khan has got a relationship with New Japan. You got to deal with politics and things. Any chance you think that Tony Khan would go, Muda, why don't you come and wrestle one match for AEW? Well, Muto cannot negotiate on his own. He's under contract with AEW. I mean, uh, Pro Wrestling No, obviously. So maybe politics wouldn't make that possible. Anything's possible. Anything's possible. Money talks in this business, and also uh, uh, under this current the landscape, that the, anything can happen, really. Yeah, it would just be a shame if Muda didn't get one last match in the United States. But I guess he had Madison Square Garden not that long ago. That was a huge pop in the ROH. Right. Huge pitch, huh? ROH Madison Square Garden shown and it was almost unannounced. And uh, yeah. yeah, both Liger and Great Muta. So yeah. that can happen, you know, that uh, I wouldn't be totally surprised or anything like that if Muto makes one appearance with AEW. But his last match is it gonna be? Is it gonna be? Where, where did he say? It was say Budokan? Uh, July July sixteenth. That Pro Wrestling No has Budokan show, but they haven't announced uh, you know November December next January show yet. But they, I assume they they book big buildings like Saitama Super Arena. Sure, sell out. Yeah, yeah. So uh, yeah, let's not you know go too far away to you know right. <laughs> to predict or the yeah. Uh, Did uh, we were talking about this AEW New Japan Forbidden Door being opened, and it's obvious that it was beginning a bit, and every single you know match they had, you saw this invisible you know invisible to be continued sign on on the screen, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah. Because the way they ended it, you know, the, the Forbidden Door pay-per-view show, the main event, John Moxie in Hiroshi Tanahashi, was good. But at the end of the night, they had to do this big running and almost like an angle that the Jer- Jericho Appreciation Society comes in, that William Regal come in and do all the bra for the like a to-be-continued program. And Tanahashi's still in the ring and not involved. You notice that, right? Yeah. Yeah. So the main event was main event independently, but at the end of the night, they almost had to do the angle, sort of like a to be continued storyline within AEW program. Well, they had because it's, after all, there's two different companies that are running their own storyline year long, all year. So I guess it was it was happy ending and not so happy ending altogether. So well, they have to, because, you know, they had to talk about the Dynamite shows and the Rampage show, and it just coming up on August, they have a Battle of the Battle of the Belt, right, in the Grand, Grand Rapids, Michigan thing. In same, you know, September, they have two big shows in AEW, one with Chicago, 
and the other was end of September, you have Arthur Ashe Stadium in New York. Uh, that uh, Arthur Ashe Stadium show in New York at end of September is the one I'm assuming that the New Japan will, will wrestle will be coming again. What do you think? I think it's entirely possible. Yeah. And that September 21st Arthur Ashe Stadium show having bunch of New Japan wrestlers again, and that will lead into January 4th, Tokyo Dome, with AEW wrestler making an appearance. This is the only way that it makes sense. No, I agree with you. And there's the only beginning. You know? There's got to be a plan. And clearly there's a plan with Chris Jericho and Shota Umino. Yeah, yeah, because they ran the angle. Like, <laughs> it's interesting that the Chris Jericho, uh, you know, 52-year-old Chris Jericho is doing like the chic. Yeah. Yeah. The wizard sheik. And also, that is, of course, that's Chris Jericho program, but that will elevate Shota Umino so much. Absolutely. The current, you know, fan hasn't haven't seen that the Umino was new hairdo and new costume and all these things. Like, wow, long hair and a new costume and probably new move, and that uh, he is ready to come back to Japan than be in, in, in the IWGP title picture. And being with Chris Jericho can only help him. Oh, that'll help. Major, major superstar rub. Same way with Yuya Uemura, too. Yeah, you told me about his physique and, you know, the presence. And he's still wearing black trunks and black tights like you, your New Japan lion, young lion in, in excursion. But he... I'm talking about Yuya Uemura. He really showed the leadership in that ring with other American young lions like DKC and, and, and uh, you know, Kevin Knights and uh, what's his name, Alex Coughlin. Yeah. They are, people assume they're New Japan American guys. Now, Uemura is, is amazing. I think the second he stops being a young boy, switches into the, the young lion phase and gets a gimmick and a look uh watch mm -hmm. out he's and the body oh my god he's got the top guy thing he's gonna be if he's not the guy i don't know who's gonna be right right you told me that so i was paying attention to this although it's uh it's a eight-man tag team situation and each guy can you know put only so much in there you know but uh yeah, the way he was doing, you know, when we was doing a muto elbow, that you know, the, the driving elbow thing, and uh, yeah. No, I saw him in Seattle. He came out, and I mean, the audience was not, not many people in the audience were familiar with him, and he had the audience right. going in not very long time. I mean, they got everything. He's, he's brilliant. I think he's uh, someone to keep an eye on, and that's not a cliche. Yeah. Yeah, and also I think he's. I think, in my opinion, he should keep his, you know, dark black hair like Bruce Lee. Yeah. Most of the Japanese start start dying, start dyeing their hair lighter color, right? He could, in theory, keep the black tights too. I wouldn't change up his look too right. much. Like Toshi and Fujinami. Exactly. Right, and he's got the tremendous, tremendous muscle, thigh, and just body, the upper body, and yeah. And certain, I mean, certain something about him that the look he has, right? He, superstar. He, he doesn't superstar need much movie. window dressing, if at all. Um, yeah, I think he's great. Yeah, now there's a lot there. 
Yeah, so they showcased it because um, uh, obviously Uemura and Umino both in, in the stateside that the Japanese fans haven't seen them live. And uh, by watching, see, Forbidden Door was great, but uh, much like Amer- you know, American fans are watching the whole show from AEW perspective, right? But the Japanese fans watching it from Japan, yeah, they will pay attention to Japanese wrestlers who were in it. Well, I wish you know people will, you know be more open to everybody. You know, you know, like for instance, El Desperado, uh, Yoshinobu Kanemura tag team match. That of course you want to watch. You know, Japanese fan will be watching Desperado and Kanemura, and I mean, I mean Kanemaru. But uh, they could pay attention to somebody like Keith Lee, who might be making an appearance in Japan in the near future. Jeez, Keith Lee could get over huge in Japan. Be, that guy can be a you know, new monster. Right. He, yeah. Well, he is, I mean, he is a monster. But, uh, yeah, somebody that hasn't been in, in Japan that uh, you just saw uh, during this Forbidden Door show that the Japanese fans feel that, they, well, they discovered somebody. You know what I'm saying? Right. There's nobody with his body size and type that I can think of off the top of my head in New Japan right now. Now, he would... He would fit yeah, in really monster. well. Yeah. Yeah, they don't have that monster. I mean, yeah, like Bad Luck Fale kind of. Scott Norton was. He's bigger than Bad Luck Fale, so. But that would be cool. Right, and and much much better athlete or something. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So he's different. So I uh, yeah I, I think this overall I I counted because there's like a four free show match and nine. Pay-per-view matches, like 13 matches altogether. It was six-man tag team here, and eight-man tag team here, and a tag team here, tag team there. Then only a couple single matches. And I counted 52 wrestlers who worked that show. Not counting the ones made run-ins or somebody like William Regal or Gedo, who was a manager outside the ring. But the ones who worked in the ring, over 52 wrestlers one night. Goodness, I didn't even think about that. Wow. And that, that's a big, big show. You know, even, uh, you know, WWE pay-per-view, only 20 or 30 guys get to work, right? Yeah, unless you're talking about if they do a whole lot of Survivor Series matches or Royal, right. Royal Rumble, maybe. That, that's I guess the reason that the WrestleMania started having under the giant Memorial Battle Royal. Yeah. You know, that the whomever weren't on the card you'll be put in a battle royal situation. Yeah, except for, yeah, Royal Rumbles or WrestleMania, that's about it. Yeah, so a lot of, lot of wrestlers. And for Japanese side, that the, so many wrestlers were introduced to Japanese audience that night. Yeah. And we're in a phase. And, uh, it was uh, also the very first time that the uh, New Japan World subscriber, much like your WWE Network, that the people paying $9.99 a month, right? But for this Forbidden Door event individually, they had to pay another 50 bucks, $50. 4,980 yen it was. Now, but, was it uh, was it promoted as a New Japan show or promoted as an AEW show? Uh, it's both logos on it. Gotcha. It's a special one-time live card that you have to pay uh, that the fee separately in the, uh, you know, the paying fifty dollars 
for one program pay-per-view. That's pretty much still new for Japanese audience. See, pay-per-view has been around since in the mid-80s in, you know, in America, and that the people are so used to paying each program. When the WrestleMania comes, you know, you call up your friends and have a pizza party, you know, and then the gather, you know, friends gather and, you know, you pitch in $10, is 50 bucks, no big deal. But the Japanese audience for decades, they've been conditioned to uh, be able to watch these important shows on almost free television, right? And now you've got the program and the wrestling show or the important live card are moving towards more live streaming um, programming away from, yeah, the thing away from, you know, traditional television. That's a new for Japanese audience. So do you think we're going to see more of it? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Oh, they're doing it. Uh, but, uh, I think I've told you that, but uh, in New Japan world, or like a streaming service is becoming like a platform for pay-per-view programming. Like for instance, Fujinami and Tradition uh, a couple three weeks ago had Korakin showed that the uh, Fujinami's 50th year anniversary in business, right? They did pay-per-view using New Japan uh, World as a platform and charged thirty dollars for it. Or even Taichi Taka, you know, Taichi Taka Mania, you know. Taichi and Takamichi no Kuzu, you know, their own show, Korakuen, they used New Japan World as a platform and charged $30 for the show. Or even the Glade, you know, like Glade, that's another completely different company, they are using New Japan World as a platform and selling the pay-per-view. So New Japan World itself is becoming a platform for this live streaming pay-per-view market. It's like a wrestling portal. And then you pay for the pay-per-views. Yeah, yeah. Subscribers, you know, are able to watch pretty much everything. But these individual pay-per-view program, additional to your monthly fee that you have to pay thirty to forty, fifty dollars for program. That's kind of new, but it's a uh, COVID nineteen too. But it's a, I think that's a trend that uh, wrestling. The pay-per-view is moving towards this new business model. Well, and the same thing with Stardom. You have Stardom World. And then... Oh, it was like a 4,000 4, yen this last Friday night from Nagoya. Yeah, it was also $40 program in the first show. Yeah, for Fight on the Top. Yeah. Fight on the Top. Yeah, yeah. So I think they're moving towards more and more uh, pay-per-view uh, the, the programming. So you saw uh, the Stardom pay-per-view, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. Oh, actually, before we move on to that, um, there's talk of uh, maybe Forbidden War, Forbidden Door coming to Japan. Do you think fans would be receptive to see more AEW stars uh, in New Japan? If they call it a Forbidden Door from like a Tokyo Dome, you have to have. Uh, Half the New Japan, you know, the, the half the show has to be New Japan superstar and AEW superstar. Not just one or two superstars from AEW, but the, the entire crew has to come over. That could be a big show. And their music and their entrance, you know, just like the AEW, you know, the migrated to Tokyo Dome and the whole ramp and uh, the lighting and the whole 
the whole thing has to look like AEW New Japan combined show with two different logos on top of the you know ramp. Yeah, I mean, it could be something very special, and I think that as more people, um, you know, are safer, things hopefully open up, continue to open up, and do better. You know, I think New Japan will be oh, just fine in the future. This, oh, July is coming up now. Then, and, uh, yes, Japan's opening up, you know, country for tourists, and and uh, the number's limited still, but yes, um, they're opening up, and uh, by. This coming January, I'm pretty sure that the, not normal, but the people the thing will, will go back to rather normal or what it was three years ago. Well, I'm the, hoping too, but uh, yeah. I'll come see you and bring you some candy. <laughs> Please. Three Musketeer and a Snicker with peanut butter, Reese's Pieces. My favorite is whatchamacallit still. What about <laughs> Butterfinger? Don't you like Butterfinger too? Butterfinger, yes. Butterfinger. I need glass water. You like crunchy. Yeah, you like crunchy. I remember. Yeah. I remember we were. Milky Way is fine. We, I remember we were in line. It must have been for Wrestle Kingdom. Maybe it was, I think it was Wrestle Kingdom. And we had gone to the mini mart and got candy. And so you had your candy. Maybe it's the candy I brought. I don't remember. All I remember is I had a bag of Skittles. I, I will have a bag of Skittles from time to time. And you'd never had it. And you, had, I gave you the Skittles and you were like, tastes artificial. I remember your, okay. reaction, your reaction to Skittles. You were not, not a fan. Right. Not a big fan. Well, neither of us are big drinkers, so we have, we have to have candy bars. Yeah, there we go. We'll have the candy. But yes, uh, it was, but, but we still haven't finished this AEW New Japan Pro Wrestling okay. uh, Forbidden Door thing because I think we, even with three three hours and 45 minutes show in a major portion, almost four hours, still it looked, it's a good show, of course, but it, it looked like it really rushed things. You know, like a Tony Storm Thunder Rosa match. They could done a lot more, right? I guess. I mean, yeah. Well, Will Osprey, Orange Cassidy, they they did what they had to do. But uh, the Orange Cassidy that night was introduced to Jap- bigger Japanese audience. You know. Uh, you yeah. know who I thought was great? I thought uh, El Fantasma was great. The way he was stooging for Sting and doing everything. I thought he made Sting look like a million bucks. Hell Phantasmo, I thought, was an unappreciated hero of the night. Right. Well, Young Bucks, El Phantasmo was perfect trio for that role that night. Yeah, absolutely. Oh. Yeah. But the, the, the way he's been treated or the way they, he was programmed, you know, at New Japan wrestling fans, New Japan hardcore fan, fan base, I should say, it's not really looking at El Fantasmo as big, 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 huge superstar. You know what I'm saying? No, he's not. Good wrestler. Yeah. Great talent. But uh, was not a main event person. Yet. No, no, he's a junior heavyweight guy, but he's very, very talented. But I assume he will be heavyweight because he's really tall. And right. put on a little bit more weight in, in, in a year or two, he'll be in the heavyweight division. Yeah, he could go either way, absolutely. Yeah, because this, remember this, that the... the Best of Super Junior, they just had, you know, a bunch of new guys that that they introduced. That, that, that their junior heavyweight division is so rich, healthy right now that uh, some of these guys 
will uh, go on and go into heavyweight division. Yeah. I, he, I'm not saying heavyweight are better than junior heavyweight. They should, they should be separated. But there's right now the New Japan's new the, the junior heavyweight division is so many, so many talents in there. Absolutely. Yeah. But uh, yeah, uh, it, this it really showcased this this forbidden door showcase, and it was covered in Japan as a news in you know that the result came out right away and i did uh, some you know podcasting radio show that night in japan and uh, i didn't have to really talk about the or the result of the matches but uh, rather because they people already knew that the, rather i had to make more analysis or the uh, observation or something and uh, yeah uh, those are the things uh, i think of course, hardcore fans uh, really, you know, watched it, but it was more of a more of a event that play, took place, like a historical event that will lead into something bigger and better. Jim Ross, uh, what's, oh, yes, I was going to point this out, that the, the clear difference between AEW broadcasting and WWE broadcasting, the WWE, you know, play-by-play and color commentator are so controlled by this headset, you know, Vince, Vince McMahon's voice and, you know, Triple H or who, whatnot, that uh, they were controlled, right? Right. But uh, uh, AEW uh, announcers, Tony Shibani, Jim Ross, the commentator Taz, that the, they uh, obviously have more freedom. And during John Moxley, uh, Tanahashi match, they mentioned a couple times, even a little, little bit more, that June 26th is a very important day in, 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 in Japanese wrestling. 46 years ago, Antonio Inoki and Muhammad Ali ha- had a fight. And Taz comes in and say, uh, when when there was no such word, so, such terms, MMA or combat sports or sport entertainment for that matter, that was like... A, Trailblazer, pioneer, you know, the history, you know, very historical match. They really mentioned that during the AEW program. Yeah. And uh, so they have more freedom and more journalistic. And uh, yeah, uh, it's, it's things like, you know, Inoki Muhammad Ali and the, how MMA and the combat sports and all these terms and historical meaning of it, that WWTV don't necessarily need, right? But the, these are the comments that the only AEW play-by-play and the color commentator will be made. Then the AEW audience is more, uh, I don't know, information or more knowledgeable or that the AEW fans, you know, that demands this information a lot more so than the WWE universe. Does that make sense? I thought Kevin Kelly... Well, he's excellent. And I think oh, Kevin Kelly is excellent. I was saying Tanahashi coming to America is like a Beatles or Rolling Stones coming to America or something. <laughs> a little bit exaggerating, but uh, yes. But that's what, that's Kevin Kelly's job. But uh, yes, that was important, yes, to point that out too. Right. Well, I thought they kind of exaggerated a little bit about Inoki and Ali. I mean, it's a big deal, but it was more of a cluster and a spectacle than mixed martial arts i mean 
but yeah but the it means a lot more 45 46 years later what what it meant historically that the people didn't know and in hindsight how important that what you know the Ari Inoki match was and now we know I don't know, you know I'm saying because we know a lot more about the the whole thing yes. you know, the Ali thing and Ali fit people and Inoki people and how they put together this whole total event and almost didn't happen and the people, so many people have so many different theory about who, who backstabbed or double crossed or there was no double cross or there was no. This is so, so many different theories, but all in all, Antonio Inoki and Muhammad Ali in 1976, those two were in the ring, not knowing what they're doing, but it was so historical. It was really important. 45 years later, you know what I'm saying? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Well, let's let's move on to Stardom before we run, we run out of time. Um, okay, okay. I thought it was a great show. Oh, I mean, carried away. <laughs> yeah, that's. Oh well. I thought and it also, was. So we have to talk about Tajiri's new book. We will. We will get to that for the first time. Yeah, we'll do that. Tajiri's, Tajiri's fourth book in wrestling, but this one he really wanted to tra- make a translation into English and put that up on on Amazon. Yeah, we'll do that. We'll get to. We'll get to all of that. Um, that's all I want to get to stardom. But um, I thought Fighting the Top was was a great show. Um, you know, I I watched it on replay. Everyone okay. was everyone's raving. Match of the year match. And don't get me wrong. I yeah. thought it was very good, but I didn't think it was like a an incredible blow away match of the year show. It's like stardom. Match of the year. Right. I mean, stardom shows are always very good. And I thought it was another very good stardom show. It's like when the A student gets another A, it's to be expected. Sure. You know? But I didn't think it was anything. A student gets another A. And uh, let's not get used to it, right? No, not get used to it. But at the same time, I didn't think it was like the best work of this A student's entire history, something like that. Does that no, make it sense? Wasn't. Does that and make also, sense? Yeah, and, and not not to take anything away from what they did. Exactly. But uh, it's my belief is that you know cage match is something to settle the score, right? Like a long, big right. Feud, you know the long program, the hated opponent, all these things. That the, you gotta settle score inside the cage. Cage match isn't something that you just do heck of it. You know what I'm saying? Right. And also, that 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 goes to wrestlers' mindset too. But when they have cage match, a lot of the today's wrestler have to, you know, they they feel that they have to do something dangerous, meaning that the. When you have cage match, you have to fly out of the top of a cage. You don't have to, but the, that will happen, and it did. Yeah, I thought uh, Tam Nakano was great. Um, okay, you know, I maybe she's underrated. Maybe she should be a bigger star, maybe internationally. Tam Nakano is an interesting case. Some people think he she's so underrated. And some people think she's so overrated. I can see that. I can see that. But whenever there's a big match, she steps up. Make sure that she shines, yes. Yeah. Um, The other thing is I was watching Stardom. I don't know what you think, but 
it's as I'm watching stardom, like everything they do is so psychologically sound all the time. Okay. I feel like mm-hmm. when I'm watching stardom, I never think they just do moves for the sake of doing moves because this looks cool here. It always feels like stardom is psychologically grounded. The other thought I had is you can tell that the whole roster works together constantly because some of the moves are so intricate and so, I don't want to use the word choreographed because that makes it sound. Yeah, because they execute so well at the same time. Yes. They look way too choreographed every now and then. But it's just, they, they obviously work out all together consistently over and over again because these things go off like clockwork yeah it's a well-oiled machine i guess is what i should say right and so many the the, the roster is getting bigger and bigger more than any other roster i feel like the of all the major companies i mean maybe there are smaller companies of major companies or the ones you know even it was in in, in independency and some talented wrestler they will be discovered and they'll move right into stardom roster and to be honest with you some of these you know the newer talent within the stardom i have a hard time memorizing their name and costume and head you know the which goes which i'm sorry well there's a lot of them well someone will leave and they'll replace them with someone with a similar costume with a similar kind of gimmick kind of thing that's but and and the light color hair right it's like yeah it's just the way stardom casts it's it's wrestlers but more than any other group they feel like a traveling troop like they all work Mm -hmm. together and they work out together cohesive union exactly everybody yeah everybody is on the same page yeah i think so that's uh i I don't want to sound like you know (laughs) chauvinistic thing or anything like that but uh it's harder with male wrestlers, but this under Rossi, you know, producer Rossi Ogawa's supervision and his production, that, that they really work together. And they should. No, it works. It's a compliment. I think it works well. I think a lot of companies would do well to have more of a troupe than to have just a bunch of individuals on a roster. But it's hard to make a breakout star, though, that way. That's fair. Well, there's definitely a pecking order. You know what I'm saying? So it's like okay. they have this faction fans, you know, Julia's faction. Right, you, all the units. Your, uh, yeah, Iwatani's unit, uh, you know, Queen's Quest to Stars to this right. five different teams, right? right. So the fans are like team team fans. Yeah. I think he, most, most male fans are like a company fans. Somebody's fan, of course, but they love stardom itself. No, I would encourage anybody to watch Stardom. It's great wrestling. It's f- great booking. Okay, there's one thing. Yeah. Um, did you see the guy or the woman, whomever it is, in the uh, the death mask? Looks like oh, this is the, yesterday. The Grim Reaper who choked yeah. out Rossi, and then gross. What was it? Sayakamatani. Is that who he he or she choked out? What was that? Yeah. 
Uh, I have no idea. Really, I'm sorry. Look, if it was any other promotion. So let me explain. So you see Sayaka Matani, and she's like, something's yeah. bothering her. She runs into the women's restroom. She's looking over in the mirror. And you're looking yeah. in the mirror. So you see Sayaka Matani. And then you see the Grim Reaper with the skull mask, skull gloves, the cloak. Right behind you. Right behind her. And he or she chases her, grabs her, chokes her down, and then sees Rossi, grabs Rossi by the throat, chokes Rossi down, which was kind of weird. You don't see Rossi in too many well, traumatic. Uh, they don't waste time on these things. No. They gave you the definite hint that they, this person had the past dealing with Rossi yeah, somewhere. Right. So either somebody who previously worked for Stardom or maybe, uh, I don't know, the, the old, uh, former All Japan women or, yeah, yeah, something like that. Yeah, no, it's very, any other group, I would go, this is hokey and stupid. But, <laughs> well, but, there's a reason that they ha they're hiding the identity right now. Right. It has to be surprised when the mask comes out. But I trust, I trust stardom, so I'm not going to say it's hokey yet. I'm willing, right. I'm intrigued. There's a reason that they're hiding the identity yeah. right now. There's always a reason. Back fact that will be there. There's always a reason, so that's why they have enough trust with me. I'm willing to go with this. Well, when Rossi comes up with stuff like this, he becomes 10-year-old wrestling fan. <laughs> it's funny. Right? Yeah, it's cool. Yeah. All right. So he, ha he still has that in there. As a kid, what would excite you? You know? Well, somebody can come in and do the press conference and announce certain thing, and that's it. But uh, by doing so, you and I are talking about it. Who was this Grim Reaper? Person? Who was this Grim Reaper strangler? I want to know. Right, right. So it's like a wrestling 101 right there. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. it was a good show. Um, stardom's always great. Yeah. And also, you know that uh, Iwatani's life story, his the, the movie's being made right now. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. It's a runaway wrestler, it's called. He ran away from home, right? Oh, and right. become a wrestler. My yeah, so her life story is becoming movie, movie right now. That could be really good. Yeah, yeah very interesting. And the movie being made, did that even make make Iwatani even bigger star? Not necessarily having championship belt or anything, but she at at this point, Iwatani doesn't need championship belt. No, she's done enough. Yeah, yeah, like a, becoming more of a John Cena, right? Well, she is the. I mean, they do promote her as the stardom icon, so. Yeah. Oh, yeah, icon for sure. And also, she is the only original that the rookie roster that stayed with company all these years 11 years i mean so many wrestlers debuted but a lot of them were either gone or quit and then we forget about it because was, you know they have so many new, new wrestlers but uh yeah iwatani is the original stardom cast i hope when you go out with rossi he pays because you know i'm sure he's making all the money right now because stardom's done <laughs> really well so i'm just kidding yeah, well, he's the happiest right now because, see, he had a great time, but uh, when Stardom was his own company, that he still had to worry about paying everybody and house skates and all these things and, and the book, 
bookkeeping and all these things. None of these things he has to do anymore. He's living the life that Rossi Ogawa. Yeah, like a day-to-day wrestling business and the creative portion of stardom, that's still his. Exclusive producer and the writer and producer and the whole bit. But the the, the business end of the, you know, the company, it's all taken care by Bushiro Fight Company. And that, that's a health, very, very healthy structure. I'm not saying he should win, but he should probably do better in the Booker of the Year. When you look at stardom's business year to year, I mean, yeah. they've been very successful during the pandemic and shown growth. Not many companies can say that. So, Right, right, right. Oh, God. This, uh, and also COVID-19 isn't officially over no, yet. No, it's not. You, know? you got to be still be careful. Yeah. Yeah. So it, that really changed the business landscape and the business model and uh, won't be having... You know, slowly but surely we'll have you know folk you know audience and not social distance seating but people still be wearing the mask inside the arena and uh, there's, there's little rules here little rules there but uh, yeah uh, they had to work you know around this what's happening in the real world out there and uh, more so than new Japan started really that, that kept the business going yeah. Well, let's talk about uh, Tajiri's book. Yes, uh, yeah, to wrap things up, yeah. This is his fourth book, and uh, the book is called uh, What Pro Wrestlers Are Showing in the Audience. Um, Amer- of all things, but American wrestlers' books are pretty honest about the work and ups and downs and, uh, you know, how to do the wrestling match and, uh, you know, the outcomes and the finish and all these things. American books are pretty, pretty honest about those things. You know, after, after I guess Vince McMahon made it public and then everybody else can talk about the business the same way, but the Japanese wrestling books and the Japanese wrestling TV or the magazine for that matter, that they were more of a, um, they talk about as much as they can, but they never say this is going to be the finish or this is going to be their angle or that there's a, a fine line that they never, you know, you know, cross over. But Tajiri's book this time really is honest about how he, he feels about what wrestling should be and his philosophy of wrestling and his own theories of things and his experience with you know, the, the upbringing of, of, he started out with IWA Japan and the big Japan and went to Mexico and not quite CMLL, but the, he's experienced smallest Mexican independent scene and he was so broke. And uh, then, then he had an opportunity to go to ECW. And then after ECW, of all places, he never even thought about, but uh, he had a five-year tenure with WWE during this attitude era, right? And then he came back to Japan. Oh, he had a five-year run with WWE. So so he saw how major company run the business. Then he came back to Japan during this dark age. And he was one of the creative producers of Hustle. Hustle that we talk about, right? And then he ran his own company, Smash, and WNC, Wrestling New Classic. And after that, he went back to WWE, you know, the William Regal and, and Triple H got a hold of him and, and they were starting 205 Live and uh, he wanted 
uh, they wanted Tajiri to be the performance center coach. And he packed up and left. And he was going to finish his career in WWF. Then that uh, doctor, you know, the, found something wrong with his knees and in the, in the back and uh, wouldn't let you work in the ring. And so he, that the William Regal and Triple H, you know, wanted him to be the coach at the Performance Center, but he chose to come home, then join Old Japan to be the creative. And then just, this is a path. And uh, by going through all these, you know, uh, details that he really talked about how wrestling should be in that, how he feels wrestling and how wrestling works and also epitome of real life and what he's what wrestlers should be expressing in the ring kind of thing very very you know unique perspective so it's about his philosophy not necessarily about his career yeah yeah and yeah his beliefs and also that the the reason i got involved was that uh the English translation was made by another person, and Tajiri got a hold of me and can you read this over? And, and I, when I read the rest, you know, this English uh, written manuscript, and I said, ah, this English is obviously written by a Japanese person, and, and a lot of change need to be made. So I pretty much, you know, um, yeah, I got in and changed English wording and uh, the way they put it and all these things. And uh, it became very interesting because I ended up reading like five times myself. Did you, what did you learn? Learn? What oh, did, oh, what, what did you take away from it? Is one thing, but uh, I agree and disagree. And then and, and also I was really impressed the way he looked at the world, you know, that the life in independent scene while he was with Big Japan and IWA Japan, he had opportunity to work one or two tours with New Japan and the independent wrestlers pain and the main major league rookies pain, different kind of pain. And uh, yeah, it's just, it's describes in details. Yeah. So do you think he's and the- He, you know, crossed paths with the same people years later again, you know, it's, it's very interesting. So I don't want to give give away the book at all, but just talk about maybe just briefly one of his philosophies that you agree with. Oh, that that, that winning and losing is yeah, because it's, it's a, you have a wrestling match, and obviously there's going to be a winner and loser. But that's not what they're like, you know, you know, showing the audience. It's it's basically. Uh, the storytelling and sport there's a sense of competition there but there's a storyline there that how unique wrestling professional wrestling is as a whole i mean there's nothing else to compare with in this world you know do you know of any other professional sport work like that with professional wrestling and that's why we watch right yeah, and then also it's easy to say it's all fake, right? But it's it's for the people who doesn't watch wrestling. For people who follow dressing, you usually follow for 10, 20, 30, 40 years like we, we have, right? Because we don't have the definite answer why we love it so much. It's like we've been asking ourselves the same questions over and over. 
At the same time, we all, you and I talk about this all the time, that the, we do share the same stigma. As a kid, when you tell somebody you're, the rest, you know, you're a wrestling fan, you'll be told, oh, that's so fake, right? All but, the time. And you, I you still tell, am. Oh, no, adult. No, it's not, you know? And somebody attacked something that you love so dearly that you really have to, you know, sit down and think, why I love this thing so much? And uh, that's like long lifelong question. And it becomes somebody's philosophy. Yeah. Things in this world is, you know, you think is fake. It's not as fake as it is, you know, as fake. Or the thing you think is so real in this world, is it as real as you, you know, you were, you know, you were told that it, it was? And uh, wrestling, professional wrestling, give you all these kind of answers. That uh, that's the reason that we, we keep watching, you know. And, and and we still have new questions every time you, we watch wrestling match. Kind of like a forbidden door, you know. What what was the per you know, purpose of doing this, or the outcome of the match, you know? That okay, why did they put this person over, right? And uh, yeah, the, all kinds of hints are always there, you know. So a lot of it is how to interpret wrestling. Honest about those things. How to interpret wrestling, a new way to watch wrestling, mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. his philosophy and different philosophies and things. And also that the you know that uh, he tells you that uh, don't worry you know that uh, something you love that's all yours that uh, no one can take away from you. Yeah, it's a good book. Yeah. <laughs> so it's his fourth book, his first one in English. First one in English. And he wanted to do it on his own, and uh, we did the uh, Amazon self-publishing. And I found out that the Amazon COJP, that the Amazon Japan in uh, other part of the world, is like a different platform uh, that it might not be able to buy his book from American Amazon platform right now yet. We gotta work on it. I'm on Amazon Prime right now, and I can order it on my Prime. Can you? Okay, okay. What we, we had to learn those things by doing it, you know. <laughs> what pro wrestlers yeah. are showing the audience is yeah, the name what of the book. Pro wrestlers are showing the audience exactly the, what that uh, that was in Japanese too. But the, that title tells you the whole, you know, this what he's doing in, in this book. Yeah, I just googled to Jury Book. Yoshiro Tajiri book, and this came right yeah. up. But yeah, just search for what pro wrestlers are showing the audience, and there's a dash between pro and wrestlers. So what uh, pro yeah. dash wrestlers are showing the audience? Okay, yeah, yeah. You're also able to get it on Kindle. Amateur wrestlers. You're also able to get it on Kindle as well. So you want yeah, Kindle, Kindle? Yes, yes. I'm hoping that uh, yeah, uh, the, the, the Taji was hoping that uh, he can finally sh you know share this to the you know wi wider English speaking world. And there's a whole description written by wrestling journalist, columnist, ah. historian, fan, and a friend, ah. Fumi Saito. Oh, forward. I guess I had to. Well, is this the for? I mean, it's on the page. Is this the forward? It just Forward, says yeah. it just says description 
on the yeah, uh, description of the book on 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 Amazon screen. They used it. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. So this is yeah. the forward the, on the top, right before the contents that uh, my forward comes out. I think it's not written as a forward. It's called description on the website. So that's why I called it the description. Somebody put that in there. Well, they are in trouble now, aren't they? I don't know. By the way, I'm not against, I'm not adding all these descriptors to your introduction on the show, because then the show would be like 30 minutes longer. So. Oh, okay. Just no, because it says wrestling journalist, columnist, historian, a fan, and a friend. How come it doesn't say okay. all around good guy? It should say that too. Thank you. Anyway, but it's uh, so it's not about me. No, it's uh, I wanted to help Tajiri on this, and uh, yeah. Uh, it's a good book. It was good in Japanese, and the English translation was fine. But uh, for American wrestling audience or the that the native English speaking you know audience, that the, some of the grammar, that the words, and uh, a lot of things needed to be changed. So. Well, that's great that you did I that. Hope it's easy to read now. You know what we need now? We need Fumi Saito's books translated to English. That's what we need. Yeah, but I don't want to do it. You know, I know you don't want to do it. If I translate my own book, it will become another new book. I don't know. The translation has to be done with another per- another person. I okay. Think. All right. It's yeah. a, you're so particular. You're mephistidious. <laughs> and I'm already working on a new book myself. Oh, yeah? Can you tell yeah. us anything about it? Uh, it's about Ricky Dozan. Oh, that'll be great. Yeah, because I just you know wrote a, the, the piece on Inoki and Baba for today's audience, right? Right. But the, now you're going to learn about Ricky Dozen, the father of pro wrestling, uh, the father of Japanese pro wrestling. By knowing and learning about Ricky Dozen, I think you have a lot more, you know, the, the, the better understanding for today's product as a whole. Well, we look forward to that as always. <laughs> No, it's not about me. It's uh, we were talk- we were doing the podcast, and uh, we talked about AEW and New Japan Pro Wrestling Forbidden Door, a little bit of stardom, and uh, Tajiri's book, and uh, we-, we are sharing our feelings right now. That uh, yeah. All right. Last time, the name of the book. What pro wrestlers are showing the audience? Just type in Tajiri, and it should uh, show up on Amazon. Oh, great, great. Well, you yeah. stay cool. Stay hydrated. Oh, guys. So, I mean, the air conditioning right now, but uh, I'm, I'm already sweating inside the house. Well, make sure Kiki has plenty of water. Well, Kiki didn't run in. You know, I know. He's sitting there looking at me. He's like, oh, I ain't coming. Kiki's so tired. He's got nothing to say. <laughs> I'm sorry. Well, next next episode. It's too hot for... Go back and start, you know, doing more... You know, regular Pacific rims. Yeah. I'm glad that the people enjoy it. I was in Mexico yeah. last week, so I couldn't do one last oh, week. Oh, yeah, I envy. But, yeah. No, but... I see all your Facebook posts. I know. And uh, vacationing and having cocktail and all these things. That's right. We need to get you on the Jericho cruise for anybody oh, listening. Yes, I will go. Yeah, I'd love to go there. I don't need. I know that we talked about it, and Chris said I could go as your handler. I'm fine if I go. I'm fine if I don't go. I just want to make sure you get on the cruise. We need, we need <laughs> Fumi on the cruise. Oh, I loved it. Yeah. All right. Let's uh, wrap things up. Where can people find you on social? Uh, at 
Fumihiko Dayo, F-U-M-I-H-I-K-O-D-A-Y-O, Fumihiko Dayo on Twitter, or just Fumi Saito on, on Facebook. Uh, please message me first. I'll friend you. And you can uh, find me on uh, Twitter at uh, Jim Valley. Well, until next time. So long from Tokyo. <laughs>